0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, will you please open them up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter uh, 5, verses 19. We're going to be continuing our journey through the Sermon of the Mount this morning, and we're going to be looking at verse 19. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 19. But before, while you're turning there, and before we dive into that, I was spending some time with the Lord. Um, I'm going through, one of the books that I'm going through is the book of Deuteronomy, um, and a week or so ago, I, I read chapter three, and uh, I came to these incredible words um, said by Moses. He says these words. He says, "O Lord, uh, O Lord God, you're the only uh, you have only begun to show your servants your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and acts um, such as yours?" It's incredible, incredible statement by Moses pleading with God that he desperately desires, desperately wants to see more of his glory. But what I find incredible about the statement is here in Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses has reached the promised land for the last time. He sees that the Israelites are about to go into the promised land and take it. And he knows he's not going to go in. So he he starts to plead with the Lord, saying, Can I go? I want to see more of you, I want to see more of your glory. Because I've only just begun to see it. I've only just begun to see part of your greatness. Isn't that incredible? This is, this is Moses speaking. This is the Moses who stood before the burning bush and got to hear God's name for the first time. This is the Moses who would stand before Pharaoh and tell him to let God's people go. Otherwise, there were plagues would come. And he was there to usher in all ten of them. This was the Moses who would lead the people across the Red Sea. This was the Moses who would go and up Mount Sinai, spend time in the presence of God and bring down the Ten Commandments. This was the same Moses who would come down from Mount Sinai by spending so much time in the presence of God that he himself, his face shone and was so bright that he had to wear a veil. And yet at the end of it, of the end of his life, He stands and says, God, I've only just begun to see your greatness. Church, I'm challenged this morning. We have only just begun, and we're not even Moses, not even close. How much more of the glory of God can we see? And and I challenge you, this is what the Sermon of the Mount is about. Sermon of the Mount is about us pursuing Christ. That's how Jesus starts off. We, we go up. He goes up the mountain. And those who want him pursue him. They come up after him. Man, do you want him? Do you want this Jesus? Because there's so much more that he has to offer that you have not yet touched. You have not yet got. He's far greater than anything that we can possibly fathom. So let's pursue him. Let's pursue him wholeheartedly. So, With that in in mind, let's read the verse that we're going to be looking at this morning. Matthew 5 verse 19, it says, Therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We've been going through quite a technical uh, passage uh, the last couple of weeks, particularly. Um, As we've looked at verses 17 and 18, they've been quite intense, to say say the least. And this morning, we find ourselves in another technical passage. But I I just feel that we need to take a step back this morning and look at something so simple that Jesus wants us to look at. Uh, There's something simple in this passage in which we can take away. And yet, while it is simple, it is so profound if we are able to grasp this concept in which we're going to talk about this morning, our pursuit for Christ is going to become something in which we'll go into overdrive in comparison to before. Our joy and peace in which we uh, may have or or lack will will suddenly increase. We'll start to have a joy and peace that is rivaled by none. And what we'll do for the kingdom of God will increase drastically. As we understand and grasp this concept. And with that in mind, I'm going to read this verse again. And I'm going to emphasize one or two words. It says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called at least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. This is the most incredible statement by Jesus here. Um, he is saying that if you keep his commandments, you do not, wait, he says, if you do not keep his commandments, if you do not obey him, you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. But you'll still be in it. Isn't that incredible? That for, for Christ, he, he is saying that even if you do wrong, <laughs> it does not mean you will lose your salvation. That even if you do not keep these commandments in which that he has given us, you will not be cast out the kingdom of heaven. You'll lose something. There's consequences. We'll talk about more, more of that next week. But I, there is the statement, you will be still in the kingdom of heaven. That's one of the most scandalous things that Jesus has ever said in the Sermon of the Mount. It's, 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 it's ridiculous to think that once you're in the kingdom, you are always in the kingdom. And we can take this word command, in which Jesus says, if you relax or, or uh, uphold or keep the command, if we, and we can replace it with, with any word that we want. And if I had to ask the question this morning, can we lose our salvation? Well, a majority of us might say, well, surely there's a criteria to it. So let's take some of the most uh, outrageous sins out there and let's say, Is a Christian still a Christian if he commits murder? Is a Christian still a Christian if he commits adultery? And as I say that, I understand, man, this is a difficult thing to answer, isn't it? we going to go, surely, maybe not. But Jesus, in the next couple of verses, tells us not to be so self-righteous, but that whoever's been angry towards his brother has committed murder in his heart. In God's eyes, we have committed murder. He'll go on to the next section and say, if any man lusts after a woman, just in his thoughts or in his heart, he's committed adultery. And if a woman lusts after a man, just, just entertaining the idea, in God's eyes, is an adulterer. So if we just have to be real this morning, and just have to be honest here, this room, we're in good company, of murderers and adulterers. Because <laughs> that's who we are. And so this the statement here by Christ is incredible. He's saying that you are not in the kingdom by keeping my commandments. And you do not get cast out of the kingdom by not keeping them. You are secure. Once you're in the kingdom, you are secure. Isn't that incredible? But I see I haven't convinced all of you yet. So why, why is that the case? Well, we've got to first understand the context in which Jesus is saying these words. He hasn't started off the Sermon of the Mount with these words. He hasn't gone, you don't have to keep the commandments to do them. He started off the Sermon of the Mount with the foundation to which we see the rest of the Sermon of the Mount through. And what is that? What is that beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For what? For theirs is the kingdom of God. So he, he's saying, Jesus starts off by the statement by going, actually, in light of the holiness of God, what do we come to? We come to this realization that we are sinners. That we are utterly depraved. We bring nothing to this table. There is nothing that we bring in which God delights in, but rather we come understanding that we are desperately in need of a Savior. We are desperately in need and dependent on this Jesus. That we need this Jesus for our salvation. We need this Jesus completely. And so we we come with this, this statement of knowing that we are dependent on Jesus for everything. Our entrance into the kingdom is completely dependent on who Jesus is. We need him. But remember, when it comes to the beatitudes, we never graduate from them. There is no point ever in our Christian walk where we suddenly go up a level, where we look at the, where we look at the beatitude of blessed are the poor in spirit and go, I've ticked that off, I've completed it, I no longer have to be, do it. So there is a constantly this place in we where we are dependent on Jesus. We are always, for the rest of our Christian walk, going, Lord, I bring nothing. I am dependent on you. You are everything, everything I need. I bring nothing to this table. And as a result, Christ never says in Scripture anywhere else that suddenly that changes. That suddenly your dependence on him becomes, well, you need to depend on me and you need to bring commands, your uh, Good works to it. It's never that. It's always dependent on Jesus. And so I suggest to you this morning that to keep all the commandments, I suggest to you that you don't have to keep all the commandments uh, to, uh, in order, if you don't keep all the commandments, you won't lose your salvation. Solely, primarily, all we have to do is depend on Jesus. That's it. Nothing else. To say that we have to keep the commandments in order to keep our salvation is saying we need Jesus plus something else. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because therefore we are no longer poor in spirit. We no longer are completely dependent on Jesus. Our entrance into the kingdom is by Jesus alone. We had nothing to do with it. Our position remaining in the kingdom is by Jesus alone. We have nothing to do with it. You following me here? But also what we see in the Sermon of the Mount is we see that Jesus goes on, and we've just looked at this last two weeks, that Jesus says, I have come to fulfill the commands. Another reason why we can be completely dependent on Jesus, that he is sufficient enough for us to depend on, is because he's completed it all. He says, I have done it. I have completed, I have achieved all that the law has required, it pointed to me, it was about me, and last week we discussed the the discovery status, remember that, that once you've achieved your status, it's done, and so Christ has come and he's achieved the status of completing it all, and for those of us who are in him, we now have that status, we now have this perfect status of Christ. And so there's no need for us to go and achieve all these commands. Why? Because we have the status of Christ. He has fulfilled it all. He has done it. This wonderful aspect of we are secure in Christ because we are completely dependent on him and he has done it all. He has achieved it all. And there's some some disadvantages to this. There's some disadvantages, sorry, for those who argue this point, and I've had it before. We've I've discussed this idea of we are secure in Jesus, and they've gone to me, Joey. That sounds great, but just in case, just in case I've missed this, just in case you are wrong, I am going to do a bunch of good stuff anyway to make sure, just to cover the other bases. And and while that while that sounds great, there's still a lack of assurance there. Do you see that? because you're not assured for sure that it is in Christ alone that you're saved, that you might have to do some good works in order to get it. And as a result of that, there's some disadvantages that come along. And the first one is that, man, you become a fearful person. I talk from experience. I uh, was saved when I was 14 years old. I grew up in a wonderful Christian home and uh, met Jesus for the first time. Uh, and it wasn't three days later after I had met Jesus that I did my first intentional proper sin. I can't remember what it was, but it was I went from this ultimate high of being over-the-top excited to suddenly going down into such guilt that I had done something wrong to the point that I, in my young Christian mind, thought I had lost my salvation. God, man, Jesus doesn't love me anymore. I have to do, and so I, I got down, and I begged the Lord to, give my, uh, 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 to take me back, to uh, give me salvation again, and, and that was pretty much my journey for about, oh man, uh, five years, where I had this constant fear that I had done something wrong, and I was not good enough, to the point that I would come home um, after school, and my parents weren't there, but their cars were there, but we got a big property, of, there was like five acres back then, um, and if they weren't in the house, I started to think they were raptured and I was left behind. <laughs> and so I'd panic until I saw them and I, oh man, they're here. Because I genuinely thought that I had done something wrong enough that I had lost my salvation. And the, the problem is, is that we live in this place of fear. You say, Joe, what's wrong with that? The, the, the problem with that is it starts to affect the way we see God. It does. The way I approached and dealt with God was not one of a loving father, but one of a strict principle that wanted to punish me for the things I had done wrong. And so I was constantly wary of my father in heaven because I was worried that I had not done enough. And whether your situation is bad, is that or not, the way you approach God, you start to question whether or not he has your good intention at heart. You start to look at the promises that he has made to you and you go, well, do those apply to me because I have not done enough? Is he going to reward me with these promises because I have not done enough? And it starts to affect the relationship that you have with Jesus and you start to see yourself as not as valued and as loved and this is one of the dangers that we have is that our identity becomes skewed for who we are in Christ because we start to think i am not good enough which is true <laughs> but i am not even good enough even though jesus has died for me and there's this lack of relationship that happens with the father Lack of approach that comes with Christ because you're just too fearful of approaching Him because you just have not done enough. But the flip side of it is, the positive aspect of having assurance is that there's such a peace. Oh man, the day I realized and studied, I was at seminary. This is how long it took me. I was my first year at seminary where I came to the realization that in Christ I am secure oh the weight off my shoulders to know that it does not matter of who I am the love of Christ for me is steadfast it is lasting it continues it is something that is always there for me not based on my performance but based on Christ such a release and this is something that we get Such a release knowing that I am saved by Christ, that's it. And my relationship with the Father is dependent on Christ, nothing else. And I can approach Him. And you know what? My view of God started to change. It took a while. You don't have five years of having a bad perspective to suddenly change. But I started to realize that God loved me far more than I had ever understood. I started to, to realize that his promises that he has for me apply to me, not just the other guy down the road who's really great. And I started to happily approach him more, spend time in his word more, pray more. And my relationship grew as a result of knowing this. The positive side is that you start to live in the identity in which God has given you as a son and daughter. Not as in someone who's uh, trying to just earn a relationship. No, but as a son and daughter. It's a game changer, church. Another, another disadvantage of having lack of assurance is that we start to strive really hard, but we ultimately strive for Nothing. It's true. We work flat out. Man, there is something in this room that I can tell you, or not in this room, there's something I can tell you today, is that people who lack assurance work really hard. I did. <laughs> Man, work flat out. Make sure that I, I did it, I became the best. I beat myself up until I got things right. I really tried. But you strive for things that do not last And your perspective and the reason why you're striving is not right. J.C. Rao explains it like this. He says, there's two uh, uh, sons who inherit land from their father to farm. The one son gets to the field and he starts to work. He goes flat out. The other son arrives at the field. He gets there and goes, has this really been put into my name? Maybe it's my other brothers and I don't want to work for him on his field. So I'm I'm gonna go and I just wanna make sure that this paperwork and everything's in check. So he hires lawyers, he has meeting after meetings, weeks and months go by as he tries to organize all of this stuff to make sure this land is his. The lawyers look at the paperwork, they have it all done, they go, Man, we can guarantee that this is yours. Yes, thanks gets in his car, he heads off to the field, and as he's about to start to work on the land, he goes, I didn't get the best lawyers. They weren't very adequate. And so he goes and gets more expensive lawyers, and the same process happens. And he goes back to the land, and he gets there, and he starts to question again. And so maybe I should go to the court, and he starts going to court, and, and he just keeps on doing this, but he never ever starts working on the land. And the same thing is with us when we lack assurance is that our effort is so put into making sure that we have what we own, what we've already got. You try earn the salvation that's been given to you freely. You try make sure you have this. I've got to make sure it's still mine. I've got to make sure it's still keep it. Meanwhile, it's always been yours in Christ. And you never ever focus on plowing the land, growing the crops, and harvesting for the kingdom. Our primary role becomes about saving our own skin rather than serving and glorifying Christ. My motive behind doing all the good things that I did, and they were good, they weren't bad, but the motive was about me. My motive was about saving me. My motive wasn't, well, hey, where is Jesus in this? How can Jesus be glorified? Because I was so worried that I hadn't done enough when we get assurance man we don't have to worry about earning something that we've already got we can start to plow that other son went ahead and he started plough and harvest for the glory of jesus and we start to do much for his kingdom and much for the glory of what christ for christ because it's not about me it's about jesus you see the difference there it's subtle because one of the big arguments against assurance of salvation is that, man, you can just go do what you like. No, you can't. The Sermon of the Mount doesn't allow us to do that, right? Jesus has spoken about, if you pursue me, these are the characteristics that you have. The, the Beatitudes are what works in us through pursuing Christ, through his Spirit. He's spoken about this first. Then he's gone on to say, we are so different to the world that we are salt and light. That we are vastly different; that we stop the world from its decay. As we are called as a church, and that's why we do the soup kitchen, because we are different to this world. We are light. We break into it through the way we live. It does assurance does not allow us to just do what we want because pursuing Christ doesn't result in that. But. If you don't have it, you might be doing tons of stuff, but you're not doing much for Jesus. You're doing it all for yourself. It's, 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 it's a difference. It's a different focus. And the last thing I want to speak about this morning is that a disadvantage of a lack of assurance is that you push others away. One of the things that we have and the problems that we have is that as a person who lacks assurance, and again I speak from experience, it's because you become very good at doing things right. You become very legalistic in the way you think. You do. Because for you, a Christian, a saved person, needs to have Jesus but also needs to change stuff. And so our approach to non-Christians is that, yes, you need Jesus, but also you need to change this in your life first. And I, I t- I'll tell you a story. I was, oh man, I must have been about 17 years old. I was a youth leader at Canoebe Baptist Church. And I, I became very good at the things that I did. And there was this young girl. She was 14 years old. She joined youth for the first time. But she dressed really immodestly. And I had a problem with it. to a point that I made it very vocal to her regularly. I remember my mom scolding me on the beach about it once. Convicted me a lot about it. But I would make comments about the way she dressed, and the problem was that she was seeking Christ. But as a result of my not, as a result of a lot of the comments that I made, she eventually didn't come back. And the problem church with that is, is that we point people to moralistic things that they need to change before they come to Christ, and that's not what it is. Lack of assurance means that we are focused on people's morals rather than pointing them to Jesus. Man, yes, they're sinful. Man, so are we. But they are sinful. Yes, for sure. But what changes, what's going to change that is not you telling them that, but rather pointing them to Jesus. Don't tell them that they need to come and change their actions first. Before they come to Christ, man, Christ will deal with them. He will change them. And the disadvantage of, a, of lack of assurance is that we've placed so much value on morals because it's so vital to keeping our salvation that we expect non Christians to achieve the standard first before they come to Christ. And it's a dangerous place to be. Again, don't hear me wrong when I say this. We are called to live a life of righteousness. We spoke about this a lot over the last couple of months. We are going to be made holy by Jesus. But whether how good you are at that does not depend on whether you're in the kingdom or not. And We'll discuss next week. It will depend on whether you're great or the least of these. But it does not depend on whether you're in or out. It is only dependent on Jesus. You get that? Oh man, if you get that, church, I promise you there will be this weight off your shoulders. And if you know that already, just just glorify God for it. Remember it again, because we have the tendency, I have the tendency to fall back into works. Have that tendency, because it's ingrained in me. That's where I tend to go. Just remind yourself again, it's by Christ and Christ alone that I am secure he holds me in his hand. And there's some scriptures that I want to read for you this morning. In light of all of this, let's just uh, hear these scriptures. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, says Jesus. If we are secure in Jesus and it's purely in Jesus that we are held to, uh, held in, that's it. Man, it's comforting to know that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. John 10, verse 28 and 30 says, My sheep hear my voice. Isn't that great? Jesus saying, my sheep. That's what he calls you. His sheep. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. If we are his sheep, we will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me and is greater than all. No one will snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Philippians 1 verse 6, I am sure of this, that he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, will see it to the day of uh, completion, um, to bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus, who's working in you, will make sure that one day when you reach eternity, he will make sure you get there. He will bring it to completion. It's dependent on Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, Jude 24. Hebrews 7:25 says, "He is able to save um, to the utmost, or uh, completely of at all times those who draw near to God. through him, since he has always uh, he always lives to make intercession for them." i finish off with the, one of the most famous. Romans 8, verses 38 to 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Yeah, okay, so Pete wants to say something quickly. Those are brilliant scriptures. I hope you're encouraged. And here's another one. Hebrews 10, verse 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, that's himself, he sat down at the right hand of God. And verse 14 says, Listen carefully. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time. those who are being sanctified so he's working his stuff in us but he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified i hope you encourage this morning well done joe let's pray lord we are so grateful this morning that it is by your blood as we sang it's by your blood we are forgiven it's by your blood that we are secure it's by your blood that we are saved and that alone and so, Lord, we just want to come before you this morning and just uh, lay, uh, lay aside all the things that distract us from that. We just want to ask for forgiveness for the works that we always try to do to achieve it, your love. We pray, Lord, that you would instill in us an understanding of this with this peace and joy that comes with knowing you. So that we can really just press in and experience the love that you have for us. We want to be a church, Lord, that experiences the the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of your love. This unending, steadfast, unconditional love that you have for us. We just want to enjoy it, enrich in it. We just want to be a part of that. Help us to grasp that, Lord. I pray for those that really struggle with this. That, Lord, they would be able to understand and grasp the magnitude of what you have done for them. But, Lord, at the same time, we pray for your spirit to come and do a work in us. We don't want to rest on our, our, our laurels and just think that we can live the life that we desire ourselves. But we want to pursue you because there's a greatness to you that is, that outweighs anything that we can possibly understand. And so, Lord, we just really want to understand the riches that you have for us. Live in you, to know you. It's all about Jesus. That's what we want. We want more and more of Jesus. So as we go out this week, would you just create and stir up a desire for us more of Christ, more of Him, more of Him. That's what we want. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.